you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the, world. in the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times. Because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. I'm Osis Voss here from the ChrisVossShow.com. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. The Iron Lady sings, and that's when you know it's official. The Chris Voss Show is on, folks. Welcome, welcome. As always, the Chris Voss Show is the family that loves you but doesn't judge you. At least not as harshly as your dad did the time that you took apart his watch, his favorite watch, and didn't put it back together. But uh, my dad will forever hate me for that. And, uh, you know, what are you going to do? It's stuff you do when you're kids. So there you go. As always, folks, we've been bringing you, what, three to four shows a weekday, 15 to 20 shows a week for 15 years now. We bring you the most brilliant minds, the CEOs, the billionaires, the White House advisors. We just had one on again recently. The Pulitzer Prize winners, the news journalists, the anchors, everyone on the planet has been on the show except for anyone who's not cool. Let's just do that for a joke. <laughs> but be sure to refer the show to your family, friends, and relatives. Go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Foss, LinkedIn.com, Fortress Chris Foss. Subscribe to the big LinkedIn newsletter, the big 130,000 LinkedIn group, Chris Foss, Facebook.com, and Chris Foss one on the tickety talkity. Today, amazing gentleman who's going to be talking to us about architecture and the impact that it has in this world and how it improves the quality of and beauty of our world, I should say. Today we're joined with John C. Gresco. He's the founder of his company. And so we'll be talking a little about entrepreneurism and everything else and how he coaches people. Over the rich, over a rich and diverse 25-year career, John Gresco has adeptly navigated various professional roles, showcasing his versatility as a project coordinator, office librarian, job captain, project architect, constructional administrator, lead designer, technical director, and AIA National Building Performance Advisor. Notably, he served as the leader in Southern California, overseeing all aspects from personnel to products. Under John's supervision, the company achieved financial success and earned accolades for its work culture. For five consecutive years, it was named the best place to work in architecture in the country, highlighting John's commitment to fostering talent and innovation. His leadership shaped the company's financial trajectory and enhanced its industry reputation. He leverages his extensive career experience and has embarked on two entrepreneurial ventures, a groundbreaking architectural practice, and a coaching business. Beyond his successful career, he remains dedicated to advocating for the architectural industry, inspiring others to reach their fullest potential, and contributing to the growth and excellence of his esteemed discipline. Welcome to the show, John. How are you? I am great, Chris. Thank you for having me, and I'm really glad to hear that you think architects are cool. They are. I mean, can you imagine how ugly this world would be if it was still, you know, the IBM man universe where everything just built is monoliths? Yeah. No, I can't imagine that. <laughs> no. The, the world needs architects. The country needs architects. And I've got a message about architecture. There you go. All right. And is it, are you going to give me the message or is the whole show going to be the message? <laughs> Well, yeah, we'll, we'll, un, we'll unpack it we'll here during the whole, the whole show. Thing. Yeah. Oh, there we go. All yeah. right. So give us your dot coms. Where can people find you on the interwebs? 
You can find me on Instagram at John C. Gresco, right here above my shoulder. LinkedIn, John Gresco, X, John C. Gresco, and my website, johncgresco.com. There you go. And so give us a 30,000 overview of what you do now and how you do it in your words. Okay, so 30,000 feet. I'm a practicing architect. I just started my own company six months ago, seven months ago. Mm-hmm. So I'm a, still a practicing architect. I'm still working in the field of architecture, the profession of architecture, but I'm also coaching on mm-hmm. the side. So over you know all those, those careers that you've mentioned in my bio, those are all different aspects of architecture within an architectural firm and a practice. Mm-hmm. And so what I was trying to convey there is that I have a very well-rounded experience in the profession. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, architects are pigeonholed right out of college into a particular lane in the profession. And I have kind of steered in and out of those lanes. It's about a 12-lane highway. There's about 12 mm-hmm. different particular roles within the field of architecture. Mm-hmm. So I'm bringing a very well-rounded experience to the profession. The long story short is for 30,000 feet is this profession is hurting. Mm-hmm. And I know how to fix it. There you go. Why is it hurting? So the, the American Institute of Architects is the largest network and professional organization for licensed architects in this country. It's about 100,000 licensed architects and probably another 100,000 of associated non-licensed professionals like the project coordinators that I, I used to be when I started out in my career. Mm-hmm. Uh, they issue surveys and they have social media presence as well. And as it turns out, there's been a trend over the last 20 years and it's been particularly a building and momentum over the last three or four as we came out of the pandemic, but architects are overstressed. Architects are over overworked. They're yeah. underpaid and they're increasingly commoditized. Mm. So as it, as it turns out, there's a lot of burnout in the profession oh, wow. and there's a lot of competition for creatives, mm-hmm. you know, in the past, going back before the internet and even just going back 20 years ago, uh, before the internet and social media really rose to where it is today, a lot of creatives went into the profession of architecture. If you liked art and you liked to draw, you would go into architecture. And now there's a lot of competing interests for architects. Mm-hmm. There's graphic design, there's web design, there's social media, there's influencers, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. And then within the industry of architecture and construction, which are linked together, mm-hmm. There's been an evolution of an entirely new profession in the design and construction industry called construction managers. Hmm. So from the construction side of the fence, they're recruiting architects. Architects get paid more to work on the other side of the fence as a construction personnel, mm-hmm. as a manager. And they're having more influence on the way we practice our profession. So there's a lot of external influences. And then there's some internal influences like we lowball one another and we compete against one another. And as it turns out, architects are really not good friends to other architects. And I'd like really? to see that change. Wow. The, the, so we need, to, we need to get architects to be nice to each other, basically, is what you're saying. We do. We kind of we need to actually unify. Uh-huh. And if we all would stop racing to the bottom on yeah. our fees. Mm-hmm and stopped commoditizing ourselves, mm-hmm. we could all as an entire industry live better. You know, as it turns out amongst the sort of traditional white collar professionals, mm-hmm. architects 
if not at the bottom, are ranked very near the bottom. You know, you look at archi- you look at doctors and lawyers and engineers. Mm-hmm. Architects have always traditionally been at the bottom. It's not a profession you get into to make a lot of money. Wow. It's a profession you get into because it's your passion. Mm-hmm. And I, I have ways to change that for people, which is really the premise for my coaching. Mm-hmm. So as a, you know, as a private practicing architect, now having my own firm, I'm implementing a lot of this, but also I want to help build, build back up this profession, which is, you know, if it's, if it's not the first, it's one of the oldest professions in human civilization mm-hmm. and it's kind of due for some disruption. There you go. And, and so when you coach with people, do you help them maybe, you know, make more money, bill higher billables, you know, justify their service better, you know, sell themselves better, et cetera, et cetera? Yes. All of the above. Yeah. There you go. So why is, why is architecture important? Let's lay a foundation for that. We had David Camp on the show who wrote a book about nature design and health and, and landscape and architecture. Why, why is, you know, why is architecture important? Architecture is important because, you know, humans spend 90 plus percent of their lives indoors. Mm-hmm. So every indoor space was created by an architect, mm-hmm. whether it's your studio that you're in, your house, mm-hmm. your office building, a hospital, a police station, gas station, Costco, grocery stores, every building, everything you see when you're driving around was created by architects. And the reason that they're standing up and not falling over when it's windy or raining or snowing mm-hmm. uh, or we have inclement weather is because of architects and their teams of engineers. Mm-hmm. And that's important because you want things to stand up last time I checked. <laughs> yeah, you don't want your building falling over you on want you. Your building falling. <laughs> you don't want to know what happened in New York City this week where the whole corner of the building falls off. Of course, it is a 100-year-old building, so that probably doesn't help. But, uh, you know, I mean, we've seen I- inspirational beauty and sometimes it's subtle, I suppose, in, in architecture. Like, sometimes you look at buildings, you're like, that looks really cool. But there, there's something that's good for us aesthetically in appreciating beauty, whether it's in art or architecture, in making it appealing. And I think it affects us in a way that's, that's not it affects us in a way that that enlightens us or makes us appreciate what's going on you know you can look at a dead square monolith sort of building and just meh whatever do you want to work there i don't know but when you see something that's that that has you know some uniqueness or some beauty you know the frank was it the frank lloyd wright stuff uh, <clears throat> things like that that really shine out there's a difference to it and just just even simple things from my understanding of architecture i'm, I'm a layman by the way i don't know anything i flunked second grade but you know higher ceilings and and lighting you know uh, open windows that are they're coming in and designing these things we've had people that have been on the show that you know they design special giant windows that that can you know block certain types of light but let others in and mm-hmm. and in in and create an ambiance in in an office that makes it easier for people to work there and a lot of people really they, they discount that they don't realize you know how much is going on with the wizard of oz behind the controls well first of all you know you say you're a layperson but what you just described was was excellent and i really wish I wish more people in society really were paying attention to architecture. That's that's one of the goals that I would like to see happen in this industry is for for it to be mainstream again. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I, when I was in college, I lived in, in Versailles, France for nine months, my whole junior year of college. Mm-hmm. And so me and my classmates were able to experience how deeply rooted architecture is in Europe. Mm-hmm. And it was very special. And there's a lot of just gorgeous, old, historic, beautiful buildings um, that have the character that you're talking about. Yeah. And then when you, you know, you now living here in the U.S. and of course, I'm born here and lived here my whole life, but you know the U.S. has a very different outlook on architecture. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't seem to value buildings for their entire life cycle. Meaning, if a building is designed for 50 years or 100 years, we don't really we look at first cost versus the cost of the building over the, the entire span of its life. 50 or 100. A hospital could be a 100 year building. Mm-hmm. Uh, a restaurant could be 10. Mm-hmm. And so it's very wasteful to design buildings that are only have a 10 year lifespan. It's a huge investment. And, you know, that, that, that brings to mind, you know, aspects of sustainability and green design and reducing our energy consumption and all that is it's extremely vital to this profession. But I would, I would love to see more people give feedback to their city councils and their architectural review boards on the buildings going up around them. Mm-hmm. And it makes it makes all the difference in the world, you know. I you, you mentioned older buildings. Like I'm a big fan of Art Deco. Like I, L, if I go to L.A., you know, there's a lot of great buildings in L.A. that have that old Art Deco look. One of my favorite places is the casino on Catalina Island. That's just so beautiful. The 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 artistic nature of it and what went into it. The Chrysler Building, of course, the Empire State <clears throat> Building, you know, all these different buildings that, you know, they're just iconic when you see them. It, the Frank Lloyd, uh, Frank Lloyd Wright stuff, I want to say Weber for some reason. Why am I doing that? I'm insane. So do you guys have the problem in the business where, you know, you, there's not a lot of influx of new people joining it because everyone wants to be a TikTok star these days in the youth? <laughs> Yes, it is. I think I can't. I can't say with any specificity, but my 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 hunch is, is that again, there's more competition for creative, artful people, mm-hmm. and so we're getting I think fewer and fewer of the top talented candidates into the profession, mm-hmm. and they're seeking you know, other other ways to make a living. Hmm. And and I mean, is it is it an income that's a deterrent or? It's just hard work, or you know, does this everyone want to be a TikTok star these days? Which is kind oh, of- everyone wants to be. Everyone wants to be a TikTok star. I mean, the kind of money that you make on TikTok is unbelievable. I would trade it all in for the money that they're making on TikTok. That's why I have an OnlyFans on the side. No, yeah, well, I'm I'm still reluctantly gonna never mind. So back to your question, what's you know, why don't people get into architecture? Yes, there are distractions. However, it's a very conflict-heavy profession. Mm-hmm. That's something I didn't realize when I was going through going to architecture school at the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana. I did not realize how much conflict there is. There's conflict every day. It mm-hmm. is. It's a tough profession. Yeah, let me give you an example. When you design a car, if you're a car manufacturer, mm-hmm. and you're working on a new Toyota Prius, and you're going to iterate and draw and create. S- 50 to 60 prototypes of a specific model mm-hmm. before it gets released to the public. Okay, so there's not a lot of recalls, right? The goal is no recalls. Make a lot of money, no recalls. In architecture, the prototype is the final product. You are building it, designing and building a building 
It's the first time it will have ever existed in that spot on Earth, mm-hmm. ever. It's the test fit and it's the prototype and the final product at the same time, which means mistakes happen. If you're not, you're not going to build your house off on the side to test fit, test how to make it, and then build you the final product. You're doing it at the same time. So there's human error, and, and there is going to inevitably be human error in anything architects design and contractors build. And mm-hmm. when you have error, you have conflict. So part of my coaching and part of what I'm doing in my private practice is implementing strategies and methodologies to navigate and handle conflict because it's inevitable. So let's just address it um, with soft skill training, but also some, some strategies about managing expectations from the very beginning of the project and reiterating them all the way through. Mm-hmm. So Chris, a typical architectural project could be a year design and four years of construction. These are not short endeavors. These are long-term relationships also. Yeah. These are not transactional. Like you just buy a new phone and that's it for the, for a year. Yeah. Right. You buy a building, you buy a site, you hire an architect, you design it. You're talking about tens and tens of thousands of hours of design time and construction time. Mm-hmm. So again, prototype equals the final product. The process equals the product also. Yeah. And and it and the value of the building can be enhanced by the architectural design of it and its appearance and, and its, you know, how aesthetic beauty it brings to maybe an environment, you know. You can look I love looking across any cityscape and seeing the unique buildings that are there. I I, I don't know why I enjoy it, but it's pleasing. It's pleasing to the eye, it's pleasing it makes you feel good. You're like, that's really cool, you know? And you're like, those other buildings are boring. They're all, they all look the same. Yeah. <laughs> Char- character is nice diversity in architecture is great too yeah, yeah. You, you you use a key word there that i think is really important character so you know i can look at most cityscapes and know the character of the city and know what city it's in so like we had somebody on the other day who's an attorney and he had like a big banner up and i'm like that's la in the background right and he goes yeah and it was a pretty tight shot and but i just knew the buildings and the uniqueness of L- the la cityscape and you know it, it, we find that appealing there's something there's an allure to it sometimes i think especially the big city and the life and the excitement and and things that go into it but even something like a home you know a, something that's a, a a home in a neighborhood you know the the architecture if it's unique it's not a cookie cutter home mm-hmm. you know that sort of levitt town sort of home if it's a unique home you know and it's design and it's beauty set of quality it, it just makes all the difference in appealing and value wise i think something that's more beauty do you guys find that in your industry you know there's a in, in many industries you know there's kind of the 80 20 rule where 20% of the people are the top dogs when it comes to really being the creatives, the designers, and whatever. I, I've kind of found that in today's world, it seems to be the 95-5 rule, where the five top percent, you know, there's not, not everyone's running around being uh, Frank Lloyd Wright right, yeah. designers, you know. Some people are doing the, 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 the work that, you know, still is great, but it's not, you know, yeah. it's not crazy creative you know i think he even went kind of broke trying to do everything he did didn't he didn't it start making money he, he, yeah he's not he didn't make the money that he would have made today yeah i think it's more like 95 5 also if i was actually initially thinking knee-jerk reaction was 99 1 um <laughs> there you go huh? there are so few architects that are known publicly in, mm-hmm. in modern society 
Frank Gehry is the one that most people think of as the one of the most famous living architects, you know, based out of LA. He's done a lot of beautiful buildings like the Disney Concert Hall, which is one of my favorite buildings. Um, the truth is, society still thinks of architects like like Frank Lloyd Wright, um, like celebrity architects. And really, the truth is, is it's very large teams of people behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the amount of work that one architect can do is very limited. You really need, in modern modern architecture, really needs a team of a lot of folks behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And, and none of them get the credit they deserve. So I, I really do think it's 99-1. Um, the 1% is the one, are the ones that are published in magazines and are, are making, making a really good living. But I'm here to help the 99% behind the scenes, behind the facade of, of the architecture profession, sort of the unsung heroes. And so helping them, you know, improve the quality of their business things, probably marketing. Do you help them with marketing too? I can help them with marketing, but you know, my, for sure that in business development, but my real, my strength, what, what I've done for the last company that I worked for before I went out on my own was I, I improved their culture. So it starts with having fun at work. And I like to have a lot of fun at work. I'm a practical joker. I, I like I mentioned before we were getting out here that I actually used to do improv at Second City in Chicago in the oh, really? late '90s, and um, that didn't work out. So I stuck with architecture. But you know, I like to have fun. And what I have found is that when people like the culture, the office culture that they're working in, they produce the best work. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the Southwest Airlines model. You take really good care of your employees and they have taken great care of your customers and you, your business comes in the door because you have a lot of repeat work. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing is I look at the culture of the company. Second thing, I look at how they're operating. And like a football team, you know, like, like a manager on the, side, on the sidelines, I look at how the plays are flowing and how, how everyone's interacting. The, I help them with the proposals, how we, we write fee proposals to our clients. I make sure that they've got the scope of work correct, the, the remuneration, the compensation is correct. And then lastly, I look at each individual player on the team. Again, thinking of a football analogy, is the quarterback the right person to be a quarterback or should they be a wide receiver? Mm-hmm. Right? And so I will look at the different talents and skills of the people on the team. And I look at everybody as like a puzzle piece. Everyone has any and outie parts to the puzzle piece, strengths and weaknesses. And I don't think there are weaknesses in the profession of architecture. I think you need to just find compatibility like the adjacent puzzle piece. Mm-hmm. And once you get all these puzzle pieces coming together and gluing together, you're going to have a really solid team where you're playing to everyone's strengths. Because as I mentioned, it's not one architect. It's mm-hmm. usually a team of five to 12 behind the scenes helping the one that you see on camera. Mm-hmm. What would you what would you say to people who are out there listening that might be interested or thinking about getting into architecture or maybe they're artists you know what type of people get into architecture are those the people that I see that you know they can draw something really beautiful they're you know they have that imagination that I don't have where mm-hmm. they can you know they can look at a piece of empty paper and they can and, and they can put something beautiful down on top of it that might want to consider this as a career mm-hmm. business. You were kind of talking about it, Chris. It's how you feel when you see buildings. I, you know, what I've, I've told people, kids in high school before, that are thinking about being, going into architecture. 
if you just go to your local downtown or if you go to your city so i'm from chicago i now live in la mm-hmm. uh, you know so there's two two big cities i just tell them go into the city and if you can find a favorite building or something that really resonates with you and you go inside and it makes you feel a certain way because like you're describing chris the volume of the space the height of the ceilings the amount of glass whether it's really bright or diffused and shaded think about how how it makes you feel and if, if you're that kind of person that's affected by buildings, you should be an architect because that's mm-hmm. what we need more. Of. We need people that really have that, that 3D sensibility to how architecture can impact our lives. We need more of that. We've got a lot of people in architecture that produce a lot of ugly buildings. And we well, need a lot. That's kind of rude and judgmental. <laughs> no, well, I, uh, I would. be shaming I, buildings. They have feelings too. <laughs> buildings have feelings. Yeah, they're corporations, according to Mitt Romney. So they have feelings. Yeah. Well, <laughs> some buildings, ones. some buildings would be really sad. Then, <laughs> some buildings probably wish to be knocked over. Oh, and there you, go. you know, I look. I think. I think the one in New York was committing suicide this week. That's why it fell. That's why it, it imploded. Yeah. It's yeah. Suicide. It's just so depressing. Yeah. yeah. Don't do that, people. Don't. No, don't. 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 No, but I mean, really, I've, you know, I've, I am doing things outside of my professional environment. I'm involved mm-hmm. in my community in other ways. I talk to people all the time mm-hmm. and I'm always asking them what they think about buildings and the, the general prevailing attitude is, eh, architects, they just do what they do for themselves. They're not really doing what the community wants to see. And I hear that a lot. And really? I mean, there's some truth to it. Yeah. Huh. There's some truth to it. The way we're trained in college is we're really trying to think about the project as our own, as if we are these little artists mm-hmm. and this is our build, our building, the architect. The building isn't for the architect. Yeah. The building is for the, pe- the people who use it. Yeah. So putting yourself in someone else's shoes and having some empathy for the users of a building, I think is a, one of the, the best traits for a, a budding architect. Mm-hmm. And there, there's so much that goes into it. Like I said, we, we had this one company on a while ago, and then they, they make the glass for, for architectural glass for building, for big buildings. And so there's, there's different UV designs and there's, there's ways that light can improve people, people's moods, you know, get them the vitamin D and stuff and, you know, just have beauty, but without, you know, glaring sunlight, you know, blasting into, you know, where you're sitting at your desk and it's melting. Without the heat loads. Yeah. yeah. Without the heat loads. And, you know, it's, they're kind of designed, uh, to, you know, keep heat down for environmental, you know, energy usage as well. But just uh, part of it, you know, is just the aesthetic quality. And it's really, you know, some of it's beautiful and, and designed to, you know, for what architects want to do that's really cool. Some of it's just plate glass windows that you see and you're like, I don't know what those are. They're just windows. But they do so much. And, you know, people don't really realize it. You know, a while ago we had Michael Kimmelman, who's a, I believe he's a, I believe he's with the New York Times. I think he's with the New York Times. He's, a, he's an architect critic and writer. And he started doing this thing, and I believe it was during COVID because the city was kind of, dead and empty and they would do walkabouts where they would go around and 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 he had places he picked out in new york that you know that these architectural you know kind of interesting things like maybe the chrysler building or what's the building that's the it's a diamond shape that's cut 
and, and it kind of sits funny. That's in New York. Fuck, it's right on the edge. But that that's kind of a unique building. It, it cuts a V through the road, and, and, and roads have to converge around. It was built a long time ago. I think they someone recently bid on it and bought it. But he did a thing where they would walk around, and they would do tours of walkabouts, if you would, of incredible buildings. Back in the early 2000s, Instagram was really big. We would do photo photo walks where we'd take photographers out, and some people mm-hmm. just bring their stupid phone cameras and stuff. But we'd do photo walks where you'd walk around a city and take photos. And I've done a lot of photo jaunts where I've gone out. I'll do day jaunts where I take the cameras out, and then I just go photograph stuff. So I've done a lot of L.A., Venice Beach, mm-hmm. uh, shooting stuff. And so maybe there needs to be more of that, like appreciation things to you know get people more aware of of the beauty that's in their city and and some of the history you know the history and the stories are what makes it too oh, i i love that i again i'd like to see society make architecture mainstream again yeah. it's just it's it's one of the we're too busy looking at our phones <laughs> to really care about what's really around us we're too busy looking at our phones to even drive our cars yeah. let alone look at the buildings on the side of the road yeah. It's it's tough. There's a lot of competition, but I mean, I'm here to say that architecture is, it's a it's one of the oldest professions. Mm-hmm. Uh, humans had to have shelter, mm-hmm. and protection and security, and it happens inside buildings. We need places mm-hmm. to live, work, um, play, heal, be educated, and so. And I think over the last twenty or so years, architects, not all of them, there are some really great examples of architecture. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But I think it's the industry that prioritizes the the first cost of a building, mm-hmm. and and through commoditization commoditization of architects, the race mm-hmm. to the bottom for fees produces by no other way possible some of the ugliest buildings out there. <laughs> right? If you're competing on fee yeah. and not on your skills and talent and not on your own reputation and abilities and you just have to provide something that meets the code uh, barely mm-hmm. and your client doesn't care about aesthetics or about even being part of a neighborhood mm-hmm. they just need to get a building up get it up and get out of here and sell it maybe mm-hmm. uh, that doesn't really help that doesn't really help the surrounding landscape yeah i had a college professor dr michael kim um who 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 super who mentored me throughout my my master's degree in architecture and civil construction management, but he, he kind of coined this phrase, "mironic design. And it's, it's Greek for being a part of. Oh, okay. Okay. So whenever we design buildings, we should always think about the context uh, around where they're going. Mm. And, and that's the, the Miros part, trying to be part of something greater than yourself. It's, it's a great, th- it's a great, concept for every single thing on earth mm-hmm. but particularly for architecture because the architecture has has an ability to change the entire backdrop of of a neighborhood or city or street there you go so is it is it more the issue of the people who are buying aren't appreciating architecture as much as they should or how does that work it's not the people that are buying so it depends what kind of building it is mm-hmm. but let's just take a Let's just take a commercial office building, for example. The client might be an investment company, mm-hmm. and they're just motivated by ROI. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, ROI is kind of at – I'm not saying you can't do great architecture on a, on a budget because you can. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. but it's harder. Yeah. And and I think so. Oftentimes, you have other more business interests in the development and design of architecture than the the essence of what the architecture is for. There you go. And so it's just, I mean, if you if you raise the value of what you're pricing your stuff and what you're doing your stuff, and everybody follows the same format, then you know there you are. We see that in the podcasting business where everybody thinks if you just get a mic and talk into a phone, and you know, I have so many people that come to me and they go, "I want to start a podcast like yours, Chris," and I'm like, "I've been talking for 16 years, and I it's kind of my thing." being a CEO of companies that you you just you have a mouth but I also find people interesting a story's interesting and I love collecting them I'm a story collector and there's I'm a griot if you will so to me it's valuable but you know I'll, I'll people say to me you know here's my idea for a podcast I'm like you have an episode you have like half an hour talking points that's not a podcast and I, I don't know what you're gonna and that's why 98% of them fail um, and so it's interesting to me, you know, how many people can do the work, but if, if everyone kind of in the business said, Hey, we're not going to take this amateur stuff in the business anymore and let's raise our professional standards, I think it would be great, but also coaching how to do better business like you're doing, how to improve your game from across the thing probably can really help raise ticket sales or, you know, move into higher ticket sales and what people want. And, you know, part of it is too. correct me if I'm wrong because I'm not in your industry, but I've been a salesman all my life and I've owned a lot of companies. And the one thing I've learned is part of selling is selling the value of what you have over something else. And, you know, there's a lot of competing interests in just about everything there is. But being able to sell yourself as this is why I'm fucking different, this is why I'm worth being paid more, and this is why you should do business with me makes all the difference in in what I'm selling. And while not everybody may not be able to afford it or may be able to see the value in it, you know, some people are like, oh, we don't give a shit, you know, whatever. The the people that I can convert will will be the, the core sales. And that's kind of what every company does. It sells a value uh, aspect of return for investment on value. You know, do I, I want to pay the cable company a hundred bucks a month? Well, <clears throat> if I want to, you know, enjoy, you know, some of these, you know whatever whatever's on netflix this week <laughs> i don't know why people are paying 100 bucks for cable i am so i don't know why but uh, you know th- there's there's a there's a trade-off value and when it comes to high-end stuff there's a there's a way to sell that as well is that is it they're in the same in your industry where you find if people can demand and sell better the value of their product they can command a higher ticket price yes that's that one percent yeah, the 1% has the reputation and it's it's predominantly a an aesthetic driven big name um reputation. The star the star is what we call them. Mm. For the other 99%, they're somewhat indistinguishable. Mm. I've worked for several large companies, some of the largest in the world. I've worked for small companies and and I worked for medium-sized companies. Um mm-hmm. And they all kind of blend together. And so that is exactly what is contributing to the burnout, the low revenue, the stress, the lack of growth for mm-hmm. architects in the industry because everyone's doing it the same. Yeah. And, and sadly, and I'm going to get criticized for this, but sadly, most architects in the business are in it for themselves. 
the dis- the big distinguishing factor going forward, what I'm advocating for, is that we need to think of ourselves as service providers, mm. not not the know-it-all master architect of the of the two thousand years ago. Yeah. Okay, we are we are leaders. Mm-hmm. We are we need to be managers. We need to have our clients best interest at heart always. Mm-hmm. And I have found the greatest success, my value, I think my value in particular is that I am my client's biggest advocate. And so if my client says, I need the following, I need the building to perform this way, and I need it to have this and that, and a particular ROI, Mm -hmm. I can do that for them because I understand understand what they're asking for. Mm -hmm. Again, this is is counterintuitive to most architects. Most architects are are trained in college. And remember, we have to go to school for quite a while. So just just so you know, to become an architect, you have to go to an accredited school. It's a four or five-year degree. You can go on for postgraduate and master's, which will reduce some of your career mentorship time that's required, or you can just go out of a bachelor's, come out with a bachelor's and work for a while. The average time frame after, after college to become licensed is you have to acquire about five years of on-the-job training before you can sit to take a six or seven exams. Wow. These exams take three or four years to pass, average. Mm-hmm. I'm, I've been doing this for 25 years. I still know people that are trying to take their exams and get through them now. It's, oh, it's ridiculous crap. that it's taken that long. It's, it's a, everything in architecture is against the architect succeeding. Laws and codes and regulations and architects beating up on architects. And, and now we've got, you know, a really tough exams that are difficult for people, particularly people that don't speak English as a, as their first language to pass them. And we need a lot of, we need more talented architects in this country. But anyways, my point was in school, and even a lot of young architects have a very self-centered view on their, on their design. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to say it's not the architect's design. It's your client's design. Yeah. And when architects start speaking like business people mm-hmm. and think about what the value – don't think about what, who we are. Think about what you can do as a service provider for your client. That's what makes you more valuable to them. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how it is in any business. I mean, everything you're citing in what we're discussing today, these are all lessons for entrepreneurs, you know, even like coaches, you know, you mentioned how, you know, everybody tries to do everything and look the same and it just is bland to anybody seeing it. And they're just like, I don't know, what's the difference between these people and different, exactly. you know, I learned a long time ago in sales, I have to differentiate myself for, and, and, and infer or provide or, you know, be able to sell them that I have a higher value and then I can do something different or better for them. And as you mentioned, have their interests at heart. Every, every one of my sales teams is taught to ask people, what are you trying to accomplish? And shut up and listen is the first question to the client other than hello. And, and helping them achieve what they want to take and do. Is there an aspect of, you know, one of the one of the um, one of the aspects uh, of architecture is you know protractors and and pocket protectors and all that nerdy sort of stuff. Is that one of the issues maybe with the industry where you need more? I don't know, Joe Namath type rock stars, people walking around, you know, being more flashy and I don't know, putting more pizzazz into the thing. I don't know. <laughs> well, first of all, 
architects are the cool are supposed to be cool we were yeah. black now the engineers are the are the nerdy ones they're doing all the calculations to make our structures stand oh, okay. and they're the ones with pocket protectors but ah, okay. now we all use computer programs now we don't really do a lot of hand drawing anymore mm -hmm. uh, you know can the, can the architecture business use a celebrity public figure maybe you know maybe you know, we've had our hand full of reality TV shows, like I go back to Trading Spaces, uh -huh. you know, and it, well, I used to call that show Pimp Your Neighbor's House, you know, mm -hmm. because you would just go and mess up your neighbor's house for TV. That kind of did a disservice to design professionals because, again, it made, do you remember the TV show? What was it, what was it again? The Trading TV? Spaces. Trading spaces. It's so you would switch there. switch homes with your neighbor for a week, and then you'd you'd each change someone's a room in their home, and okay. they could be surprised on the following you know, like weekend. Yeah, or horrified. One of the so things. there's a lot of shows that have come out. So that that's probably a show that's 20 years old now. But that was that was kind of the first wave of reality interior design TV shows and flip mm -hmm. your home shows. And a, a lot of them do a good job, but a lot of them just do what's in the best interest of the designer. And, and they do that because it's in the best interest of ratings and getting good TV, TV yeah. viewing. It's not necessarily how designers and architects work, which I think is on another, it's done a little bit of a disservice to our profession. I think people are a little scared of architects. What, what's this person or what's this team going to do for me? I'm giving them a lot of money, yeah. a lot of money. I, I'm a little worried about what they're going to do. So now I'm going to hire a construction manager to manage them. Because I don't like conflict as the, as the client, so I'm going to have someone else manage the architect. Mm -hmm. And you'd be surprised to know that in most institutional, civic, and public, you know, public, and even some very large commercial endeavors, the architects are managed by a third party. Because we have a bad reputation in the industry of just doing what we want to do and over-designing. Wow. wow. The, it's it's an interesting industry. So you help people do that through coaching and stuff. How can they onboard with you? What are some of the offers you have or packages, et cetera, et cetera? So all the all the packages are on my website, www.johncgresco.com. The the pricing is is really tailored towards the need. So I think the best thing to do is to sign up on the website using Calendly, and we could do a you know an introduction call. Mm -hmm. And see if I'm a good fit for for you, and vice versa, and then we go from there. There you go. There you go. So give us your .dot coms. We go out. People can find you on the interwebs. Look to John C. Gresco on Instagram. I post weekly tips, and, and I share a lot of my wisdom as a practicing architect and coach on there. So if you want some great free advice, check out John C. Gresco on Instagram and John Gresco on LinkedIn. X is John C. Gresco, and again, the website johncgresco.com. There you go. And hopefully we can get a new generation of people into architecture and loving it and stuff. I mean, we need more beauty in the world. I get tired of seeing, I don't like Levittown cookie cutter homes. I yeah. Don't, I don't like I agree homes. with you. But I, I, I see the, the point of, I mean, imagine function and form for some things, but you know, anything that's designed better, you just see it and you just go, wow, that's really beautiful. That looks really cool. It just improves you, the quality of your life. Have you ever driven through a master-planned community? I 
may have, I think, like in like in Summerlin or something in Las Las Vegas or Hollywood. I mean, I've been through Hollywood. That's I'm at, I live in South Orange County now, and there's a lot of unincorporated areas, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of master plan communities. And the difference in a master plan community is every road, all the landscaping, every home. Every, there's a lot of character designed in. It's a really good. They do a really. They did a really good job developing these towns down here, versus some sprawling suburbs. Mm-hmm. where there's no master plan thought put into it. Yeah. The way you feel driving through a master plan community is it looks like there's pride in your community. Yeah. And when people have a sense of pride in any neighborhood, street, village, town, or city they live in, because mm-hmm. they like the way it looks and makes them feel, guess what happens? They take good care of it. Crime goes down. Oh, people are happier. That's the value it. of architects is we can oh. literally – change the way people we can influence the way that people use and work and live and worship in their spaces Mm -hmm. there you go so it's been fun to have you on john it's been a great discussion of course a lot of this can be transposed onto entrepreneurism running businesses marketing your services and you know making something different you know and probably being a visionary i i don't know if that applies to what you've talked about here but for me being a visionary is something i've always sold in, in selling a product and you know between Steve Jobs and, and other people that have taken things and turned them into a vision that's excitable that's motivating it is also a great way to sell as well and so I think that's a that's another bonus so thank you very much for coming on John we really appreciate it thank you very much Chris I appreciate it too there you go. And thanks, Monty, for tuning in. Go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Voss, LinkedIn.com, Fortress Chris Voss. Subscribe to the big LinkedIn newsletter and the LinkedIn, what is it, 130,000 group over there. Be good to each other. Stay safe. And we'll see you guys next time.